One year ago, I released my first few podcast episodes, which I originally recorded as Facebook Lives because I had no idea when I first imagined Parents Who Write that I had dipped my toes into the podcasting world. Over the last year, I have had the privilege of speaking with 26 other writers who have shared their lessons learned and inspired more parents and writers to pick up the pen and make time to write. In honor of them, I've compiled some golden nuggets of wisdom and inspiration from my first guests who continue to inspire me today. Welcome to Parents Who Write, the podcast that helps parents pursue their writing dreams. I'm your host, Erin P.T. Canning. I'm a mom of two young boys, a writer, editor, and writing coach. My mission is to help you regularly make time for your writing, find your voice again, and confidently share your stories so that you can own your identity as a writer and be a happier, more patient parent. Hey friend, welcome to this special anniversary episode of Parents Who Write. Over the last year, I've noticed some reoccurring themes among my guests and myself, choices and ways of thinking that shift the needle from dreaming about writing to taking action. And so I've compiled these clips for you with the hope that when you're done listening to this, you not only will know you can do this too, but you'll also pick up a pen or sit down at a keyboard and write. In this first clip, author and writing instructor Nancy McCabe talks about her lifelong passion for writing and how she refused to give that up despite everyone else's warnings after choosing to become a single parent. Now, I don't want you to listen to this and compare yourself to Nancy. That's not what this is about. Heck, I did give up writing after having my kids for six years. What I find special about this clip is that her determination reminds me to let the laundry sit for another hour or another day. That given my never-ending to-do lists, it's okay to prioritize my writing first so I actually get it done. I just knew that writing had to be at the forefront, that I was shaping my life around the writing, not around teaching and not around my, you know, being around my family and friends, even though I, you know, I've always kept in touch with everybody, but I wanted to shape a life that allowed me to write. I was really afraid that I was going to adopt a child and never write another word, (laughs) but you know, it was just necessary. So I just, I found ways to do it. Because a lot of people said to me, oh, once you have a child, you're not going to write. It's just not going to happen. And I remember talking to this poet who said, yeah, I had to give up writing while my children were growing up. And I just felt so horrified. And she said, it was just that whenever I tried, I felt angry all the time. I felt angry because I couldn't find time to do it. And everything was always getting in the way. And I really sympathize with that. And there's times that I go a little crazy when I'm so busy that I can't really write. But I really just try to carve out that time. If I have two hours before I have to go teach a class, I sit down and I work on it, on the writing. And if I have a weekend day where I I don't have to do much else, I devote it to the writing. So, you know, it's always a very intentional kind of thing. It's always a lot of work to carve that out. And also, I think as a single parent, I knew I didn't have anybody to take up the slack. And so I had to just plan every minute of my life. It was really tough for many years, you know, because it was like every minute, every hour was carefully planned. And I gave up a lot of social life and, you know, a lot of other things to to do that. But I established after I left my marriage, basically, a practice of writing at night. So I would get all the work of the day done. And then at eight or nine o'clock at night, I would start writing. 
And I would write till one in the morning. I always tried to make sure I organized my schedule so I didn't have to teach till, you know, noon or whatever. And that's another way in which I feel very, very privileged, you know, that I could do that. But then all of a sudden, my daughter figured out how to get out of her crib and she was always interrupting me and I couldn't get anything done. And so when we moved to Pennsylvania, I was like, okay, I got to figure something else out because this isn't going to work. I can't write at night and then be up in the morning, you know, when she gets up or keep from being interrupted. And so I decided I'm just going to have to start writing in the morning. And she had a really great daycare. She would spend a few hours at daycare. I would write and then, you know, I'd have the rest of the day to spend with her. Sometimes I think it's just me, but after a long day with the kids, I miss academia. I miss talking with other adults about subjects I'm passionate about, like writing. I miss giving myself space to be myself and only myself. I was so relieved when poet Dominique Snedeker shared that she felt the same way, and she gave me permission to not feel guilty about that. We may be parents or adult children or caregivers or employees, but we have to make time for ourselves too. Otherwise, at least for me, everyone else gets only a fractured version of me. We're isolated as parents. You know, I'm having a great conversation about right now. It's like how to train your dragon. Like I can tell you all about the different dragons and how to train your dragon. And that's not so mentally stimulating if you want to know. But when I write a poem and it's midnight, I'm typing as fast as I can. I'm having a deep conversation with myself. And I like that because I've missed that. I miss that intellectual stimulation. But I think in poetry or in writing anything, really, if you're sitting down and you just release your ideas and let your ideas play with your mind and then you read it back and it's like you're playing with yourself. You're having this stimulating intellectual conversation with yourself and that feels really good to your brain. So then you go home and you get everybody to bed and the husband is fed and you get him to bed because he's got to go to sleep and you sit down at the computer and you sign and then it comes. The ideas come. At least that's what I found, that that when the quiet time comes, I desperately need to sleep, but I desperately need to find that place where I am my intelligent, intellectual self. And I think there's so many women out there that judge themselves because they're feeling like this is what I've always wanted. We have sacrificed part of ourselves because we want this. And then we're a little bit unhappy in it. And then we start judging ourselves for that. Like, oh, there's something wrong with me. I'm failing as a woman. I'm failing as a parent because they have an expectation to be this perfect dad. Let's go play baseball in the back or whatever it is that dads do. And then when we can't do that because we're in a different culture and a different society and a different time, we judge and that throws us into deeper depression and postpartum depression if we already have that. And that is the conversation as a mom, as a writer, I want to have with women in general that you're feeling bad about yourself is normal and it shouldn't happen, but it's the self-expectation that you put on yourself. And it's okay to be confused and it's okay to be frustrated and it's okay to make mistakes as a mom. And guess what? It's gonna be okay and you're okay. And we've all been there and don't judge yourself. Poet Sarah Burnett blew my mind when she told me about how she managed to keep writing after she had her second baby. Like she said, when I was in the thick of survival mode post-birth, the days felt endlessly long. This conversation also highlights the powerful benefits of pre-writing so that we never get stuck staring at a blank screen. Another 
thing I would say that helped me was something called the Artist Residency in Motherhood. You can look that up, A-R-I-M, and it encourages people to join in the community, write manifestos to kind of not see writing in motherhood or creativity in motherhood because you could do visual art or anything else too, and really create a residency for yourself at home and design it for yourself what that would look like, writing during the nap time or thinking of writing while you're breastfeeding an infant. I wrote a manifesto in 2016 to sort of challenge some assumptions I had that you couldn't be a writer and you couldn't be a mother sort of simultaneously. And I really felt like there was a conflict there that wasn't there. And so forcing myself to just not pick up laundry, not take care of other things, just when that baby slept, I didn't know it was always sleep. I went and I tried to write. And having that focus really helped me. It ebbs and flows a little bit, but for the most part, since I've had children, it's been a pretty consistent practice. I recently learned that my style of writing, I find waypoints and I tend to daydream my stories very thoroughly and I play out different scenarios until I'm like, ooh, I really like where that one's going. Mm-hmm. And then I've visualized it so much and I felt my characters feeling so much that when I'm ready to sit down and write it, it just pours out of me super fast. It's all writing, whether you're actually putting the pen to paper or you're just thinking about it, dreaming about it. Time is endlessly fascinating to me in those early moments because it seems like you said it can last forever. And I think that poem actually you picked to speak to that. And yet it doesn't. We all know that point will pass. But when you're with a baby in a dark room, rocking them side to side forever. You know, I mean, it just feels like eternity could pass there. But there are moments there when you're pushing a stroller, as long as they're not screaming. (laughs) You can think of a story. You can get a rhythm for a poem. There are definitely ways where your brain adapts to it. And it takes a little while, but once you sort of force it at first, it becomes a little bit more seamless. When I spoke with author Amanda Schiller, she shared how she taught herself how to write and publish a novel while raising her newborn and going to school. What I love most about this clip is that Amanda found a way. She kept learning and writing one piece of the puzzle at a time. My son was one month old at that time. He was taking a nap and my mom was in a room watching TV. So I went into her room and... We were living together. She was helping me take care of my son. And yeah, just laid on her bed and wrote that opening scene. And it took me eight and a half years to write that book. So I guess that kind of implies that I didn't have a lot of time to write the book. But it was my first novel. And so I guess what I have to include in there is just that I was learning all the things that there is about book writing. I'm pretty sure I had 500 hours of listening to podcasts before my first book was done. I watched a YouTube video on someone actually uploading their book onto Amazon so I knew what to expect, what it was going to look like, and what I was going to need to know ahead of time. There are so many things that I was taught that I didn't know I was going to need to know. And so I I really got more time to write when I started going to school full-time. Because just having the time between classes while, and when my son got a little bit older, when he started going to school all day long, instead of just Head Start where he's there half a day or three hours or whatever. So yeah, I just found myself with a lot more time. And then even when he got into gaming, I'd let him game for a while while I wrote. And we were just kind of like, it was our our way of hanging out together. 
One of my very first guests, author and English teacher, Melissa Paredes, shared her experience with traditional publishing houses and how she decided that route wasn't right for her, that she didn't want to wait on other people anymore. So she took matters into her own hands and wrote and published her first book within less than a year. She also shares what her writing habit looked like and then how she modified it to be a bit more realistic for her. When I was looking at some of the publishing houses, not necessarily Scholastic, but those types that publish specifically like kids' books that would end up in kids' fairs and things like that. I mean, they Mm -hmm. straight up said it could take a year to hear back. Not like a year to get it on shelves, but like a year for them to read it and get back to you. And I was like, I am tired. I felt like at that point, for so long, I had shelved myself. You know what I mean? And then I'll be honest, like 2020, I know it was a bad year, like big picture, but 2020 for me personally was actually a somewhat good year. 2021 was like the year where my life, I don't, I can't remember a time where it didn't suck more. And so I was just like, I need something. I need a win somewhere. And I'm tired of people making me wait to get to say that, like, this is what I do. I just decided I was just going to publish it myself because who are you to tell me that my book isn't good? So, yeah, those are my thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) I am utterly in love and blown away with what you had said about you were tired of having shelved yourself. And I feel like that is what we parents do constantly is we put ourselves back on the shelf and we just sit there and collect mm-hmm. us. And that's how I felt for six years. Yeah. And I'm tired of it. I can't take it anymore. Like, yeah, the minute you said that, the lake went straight into my heart. I was like, oh, I'm quoting you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is a huge win. And I'm just so proud of you for taking yourself off the shelf and getting your book out. Do you find that it's harder to get your butt into your seat to start writing or do you find it harder to pull yourself away? I find it harder to make myself sit down. I have to schedule in the actual time because if I don't, it just doesn't happen. I'll find something else that needs to be done and I'll be like, oh, I can just do it later. No, you won't because 17 other things are going to topple themselves on. So normally right at like 8.15, I'm sitting down with my laptop and I'm supposed to write until nine o'clock. Now, last year when I was writing the book, I gave myself a crazy word count and my crazy word count was 3,000 words a day. If I had to stay up until one o'clock in the morning to make 3,000 words happen, so be it. You were staying up until one o'clock in the morning to make 3,000 words happen. Now, even though I'm working on the second book to the same series, I'm like, no, we'll just start at 8.15. We'll go to nine o'clock whatever happens in that 45 minute span happens. Now, if I'm like on a roll, I'll keep going. But right. if at nine o'clock, I'm kind of feeling like it's painful, we're just gonna, we're gonna stop. One of the major obstacles writers struggle to overcome is perfectionism, me included. That's why I love this clip from author Gina Colgrove, who did not go to school for writing. She had stories she wanted to share. And so she did. And by doing the writing, by making the mistakes, Her writing evolved over the years. She wouldn't be the author she is today if she had abandoned her first, as she says, cringeworthy novel. I look back at my first book and I cringed internally. I look at it and I'm like, oh my God, this reads like a friggin' manual. I did this today and then I did that today and I did. So storytelling is more than just telling. 
you have to show. And I think that was probably as someone who does not have the background in writing, my background is all elsewhere. I really had to focus on that and really had to tap into how to articulate on paper what characters are feeling and what emotions they're going through. So that has been probably the biggest thing that I had to learn. And I love it. I do. I really enjoy the art of storytelling now. It's not just copy and paste describing scenes and people. There's so much more in depth to it now and I absolutely adore it. I want to celebrate the fact that you go back and read that first book and you cringe because you still did it. And how many times I hear other people who are interested in writing and they don't start because they're too afraid of it not being good enough. And that fear holds them back. But you went for it. Like you were like, no, I want to do this and I'm going to do it. And like, yeah, your writing has progressed through the years, but it wouldn't have done that if you hadn't started with a shitty first draft because then you've got something to learn from. Exactly. Always had a pretty good pair on me, to be blunt. Even as a child, my mother would be the first person to tell you I was more difficult and more headstrong than all three of her brothers put together. She likes to tell me if you put like a wall in front of me, I was going to find a way through it or around it or over it. So I have that no fear still. I'm a person behind a screen. And it's how I felt with my first book. If you don't like me, I can disappear back into my house with my family, with those who love me, and you never have to hear from me again. So it was a safe space, you know, and I try to instill this in my daughters. If you don't try, that's the biggest regret you're going to have is not trying. And it's difficult and it's scary and it's scary for these kids these days with everything they have going on. But the worst thing someone can tell you is no, or I don't like it. And then, okay, you tried. Or you can do it again and try better. It's really up to you. So yeah, I don't have that issue. So I'm lucky. But the people who do, I wish I I would put it out for them if I could just to get it out there so they could see how much people would enjoy it. Because there is a reader for every story. 100% is I believe that. Perfectionism isn't the only obstacle many writers struggle with. Self-doubt and insecurity can hold us back too. But the whole world isn't our audience. That's why, as Esme Iris shares in this clip, it's so important to find people who resonate with our style of writing and our ideas. It's amazing what the right kind of support can do for us. It's okay if you just kind of write crap at first. It's okay for it to not be great and awesome. And I'm always trying to tell my partner that that's why he's not publishing anything is because he thinks that it has to be perfect and excellent and overthinking everything. And it's like, no, that in that creation process, you keep doing it. And then you're going to end up getting better. Like you'll surprise yourself that you'll write something one day and then look at something you wrote years ago and you're like, oh, that's way better. I didn't realize I've been so hard on myself all this time. And like, this is light years away from where it was. And really when you start getting feedback from people too, that's the thing that, that helps. Cause I had the same thing where I was like, this thing that I'm writing, this article, this is not super clear. I don't know if anyone's going to get this. And the next thing I know, I've got someone coming to me telling me that it like changed their entire day to read that. And it makes it so worth it. And I love right now, the way things are right now is people are not as fussy. We're so much more accepting of oopses. And, you know, maybe 10 years ago, it would have been really terrifying to get started again. But these days, people, you know, they'll let you know, like, hey, this little thing here could be changed. Like, generally, I encounter people who are pretty cool about it. In this next clip, author Linnea March shares how she combats imposter syndrome. 
I especially love the bit at the end, not only because she mentions one of my favorite TV shows, but also because her example drives home the fact that we need to be kinder to ourselves. We are our own worst critics. So what becomes possible if we change that narrative, if we change the way we talk to and support ourselves? Sometimes I'll, I'll read my good reviews. I'll read the nice comments. And honestly, sometimes I'll look up my favorite books on Amazon books that I absolutely love that I think are just beautifully written. And I'll read the one-star reviews for those because there are terrible reviews for Jane Austen. There are terrible reviews for Shakespeare. Tessa Bailey, Christina Lauren, like the authors that I really love, Alicia Rye, like there's terrible reviews for Julia Quinn, who just came out with the Bridgerton series. There are people who don't like their writing. And I'm like, okay, I'm fine. There's going to be people who might not like it. And I just have to keep doing it because that's part of it. I also like to think about Amy Poehler in Parks and Rec. She makes a couple quotes about just having the audacity or the confidence of a mediocre white man. That's her, her thing. I think of what would Leslie Nope do in this situation? Because I, I, I think she's a great character for just taking charge of your own life and being confident in yourself. There's a scene where she calls and leaves herself a voicemail to listen to later. You know, hi, Leslie, it's Leslie. Just hang in there and I love you. <laughs> you know, like I'll get through it. We're almost at the end now, and I chose this clip for last because author and English professor Kamisha Broussard shared some advice about the craft of writing that is priceless. Her personal experience and transparency not only touches upon the core of why we write, whether that's fiction or nonfiction, but also why it's okay to own our mistakes. Can you share something you learned about the writing process or the craft that was a game changer for you? Be honest, especially in creative nonfiction. Don't try to hide. Don't try to sugarcoat. Don't try to make it seem like I really don't want to say this. So how can I say it differently? My editor called me out on that. And she was like, why are you being a chicken? I'm like, what? And she said, I don't know what you're trying to say. I think I know what you're trying to say. She said, but that's not my job. That's not the reader's job. She said, write what you mean and don't be afraid. And I was afraid. When she told me to say what you mean and don't be afraid, that was a game changer. It completely shifted daddy issues because then I found myself on the back and I had found the courage to write things in chapters that I was afraid to write. And there was something that was beyond empowering about putting those words there and knowing that they're going to be there forever right? No matter what happens, they're going to be there forever. But there was this freedom and being okay with that and, and just letting it go and saying, hey, this is me. Take it or leave it. You're my tribe or you're not my tribe. Transparency and don't be afraid. Game changers. When it comes to facing the things that we've done in our past, they're not going away. They're always going to be there. We determine when we're going to confront them and when we're going to overcome them. So that's going to look different from one person to another. But I would say when you are the most afraid is when you need to write it down because it's mm. the most powerful. And why exactly are we writing? Are we writing words that are safe or are we writing words to really, really touch somebody and really find our tribe and really connect and find that person who is going through the same thing and they can't find the words. They don't have the words. They don't have the strength. If that's not why we're doing it, then don't publish it. Just write it for yourself and keep it for yourself. But come to the page completely transparent. And fear is okay. It's okay to be afraid to confront your past. But there is so much freedom 
in doing so and following through with that and, and calling yourself to the carpet. And you, you come out of it on the other end, you come out of it, not just a better writer, but a better person. And that's what yeah. you want. And the more you do it, the stronger you get and the better you get. When it comes to judgment, mm-hmm. get over it and be okay with that. You know, hey, that, that's your opinion. That's your view. I get it. I can respect it. But this is me and this is my story. These are my words. And I'm going to tell my story in my words because I'm the one who has to walk this journey. And when you tell your story in your words, I may not agree with some of the things you say, but I'm going to be right there rooting you on because it's your story. So when it comes mm-hmm. to judgment, get over it. My grandma used to say, they judge Jesus. <laughs> and she said, what makes you think you any better than him? And there you have it. I hope you found this special episode inspiring. More than that, I hope you get in some writing today, whether that's journaling or writing that shitty first draft. Keep writing, friend. You just finished listening to Parents Who Write, a show that's changing the game for writer parents everywhere. If you want to help other parents like you discover this inspirational resource, act now and leave a review. That will also help bring even more incredible guests to the show to help you grow as a writer. 